Well, as I said, we're going to be looking today, God willing, at uh, the Eighth Commandment, which is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15. Uh, Just four simple words in English. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. And theft, of course, you don't need me to tell you, is a massive problem in our world today. It always has been. Uh, It is endemic at every level of society. The annual fraud report of 2022 showed that £1.2 billion was stolen last year through fraud. 80% of that figure was through online fraud. And so as our world becomes more complex, more technologically advanced, uh, so too the the ways of stealing become more advanced and more complex. The 2022 study by the Centre for Retail Research found that shoplifting cost the British economy £660 million in 2021 to 2022. There were certain individual stores in the United Kingdom who were losing as much as £50,000 in stock every week. Another study conducted some years ago showed that 8% of everyone who visits a high street shop is a shoplifter. 8% of everyone going into a shop is going there with the intention of stealing. So it is a massive problem. Uh, It is an extensive problem. Uh, And yet the Eighth Commandment is not just dealing with shoplifters and scammers and burglars. Uh, Because the more complex life gets, the more subtle ways there are of breaking uh, all the commandments and the Eighth Commandment no less than the others. So let's uh, think today uh, about this Eighth Commandment under, well, this morning under three uh, questions. First of all, why is stealing wrong? Why is stealing wrong? Perhaps that seems like a fairly obvious question, uh, or so obvious a question, it doesn't really need to be asked. Surely we don't need to be convinced uh, about the rights and wrongs of stealing. But uh, I think we need to put this foundation in place so that we are absolutely convinced that there is no place under any circumstances for theft uh, as Christians. Stealing is wrong, uh, first of all, because it violates our right to property. It violates our right to property. And I think it is important to emphasize that because there are Christians who perhaps have uh, a somewhat naive or sentimental view uh, of things, a simplistic view of property. Uh, And they would say, well, really, we we don't own anything. And so it's just wrong to think in terms of, of stealing And of course, in relation to God, we don't own anything. 
As far as God is concerned, in relation to him, we don't own anything. All that we are and all that we possess has been given to us by God. And it is to be used by us for his glory and in his service. We are caretakers. We are stewards of all that we have. We are not owners. In relation to God, you don't own anything. That's true of your body. And this is relevant for uh, these um, protest cards that we want to send to the Secretary of State in regard to abortion. Uh, The pro-choice argument says, my body, my choice. But the Bible says you don't own your body. Your body is not yours to do with as you please. Uh, In in any regard, least of all uh, the murder of an unborn child in a mother's womb. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And that's true of our possessions as well. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14. Everything comes from you, O God. And we have given you only what comes from your own hand. All things come from you, O God. You can't give God anything that he hasn't first given to you. Think of Job, for example. In Job 1, verse 21, those famous words, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job has just lost everything, all his possessions, all his worldly goods. And he doesn't say, God has stolen these things from me. This is not fair. This is a crime. Stop that thief. No, he says, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. So in relation to God, we don't own anything. But the situation is different in relation to other people. The Eighth Commandment and many other places in the Bible teach us that we do have the right to own property and to call it ours. Communism is not found anywhere in the Bible. We're not to be greedy. We're not to be selfish. We were thinking about that with the children. We'll think about it more this evening. But we are entitled to own property. The Bible, God gives us that right. And here in the eighth commandment, he protects that right. Acts 4.34, for example. Interesting because this is a passage that is often appealed to by Christians who who want to uh, foster a kind of communism uh, in the church uh, where everybody just shares everything out and nobody has anything for themselves. And yet, what does it say in Acts 4.34? It says, as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So there are such things as owners of lands and houses, and they had the option of whether to sell them or not. And having sold them, they could do whatever they wanted with the proceeds. 
Nobody was forcing them. There was no obligation that said, you don't own these things anymore. It's all the property, the universal property of the church. No, there were people who owned lands and houses, and they sold them. Some of them sold them. Some of them didn't. And in the very next chapter, Peter says to Ananias, who, you remember, sells some of his property and then pretends that he has given the whole amount to the church, what does Peter say to Ananias? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? It was yours. You owned it. God gave it to you, yes, but it belonged to you. You you had the right to do with it whatever you wanted. So stealing is wrong because it violates this basic right that we have to own private property. But then uh, a second reason why stealing is wrong uh, is because it betrays a lazy, grasping, dissatisfied spirit. Stealing betrays a lazy, grasping, dissatisfied spirit. We thought about uh, the fourth commandment some weeks ago. We saw that uh, that sets the pattern for human life. It's not just about resting for one day. Of course, the fourth commandment is the emphasis is on the, on the Sabbath day on the rest. But that's not the whole of the commandment, because the commandment also says that we are to labor, that we are to work hard for six days, and we're to enjoy the fruits of our labor. In other words, we are programmed as human beings. We are hardwired for work. That's why unemployment is such a soul-destroying affliction. Hard work brings satisfaction and pleasure. It may not always seem like it. And of course, our work has been affected by the fall and thorns and thistles uh, make our work laborious and difficult often. But hard work brings satisfaction and pleasure. And stealing short circuits this God-given ordinance. It comes from a lazy greedy desire to get something for nothing, to take something that we haven't worked for and that we have no right to. It betrays dissatisfaction with what God has graciously given us. God doesn't give us everything that we want. God doesn't give us everything that we think or feel that we need. But in his infinite wisdom, he has given us what he decides we do need. And of course, the devil comes and he focuses our thoughts on what we haven't been given. He tries to focus our thoughts on the things that are out of bounds. And when we steal, we're betraying a lack of trust in God, aren't we? A lack of faith in his wisdom. When we steal, we're saying, what God has given me isn't enough. I want more. I need this, and I need this, and I'm going to take it because God hasn't given it to me. So those are just a couple of reasons uh, why stealing is wrong. Second question then, how do we steal? How do we steal? 
And we've seen this in some of the other commandments as well, that uh, stealing manifests itself in a multitude of different ways. And so we need to be on our guard against all the many different forms that stealing takes. We can steal directly. We steal directly when we directly take something that belongs to someone else. The sum is irrelevant. It might be millions of pounds or it might be just a few pence. We might do it through burglary or shoplifting or by not paying the taxes that are due or by not paying our television license or by stealing office supplies from our workplace. But, of course, there are many more subtle ways of direct stealing that we might be guilty of. I suspect probably none of us are guilty of these things, but we might be guilty of some other ways of direct stealing. When we break copyright, we're stealing money that belongs to a company. We're stealing money that belongs, the royalties that are due to the artists involved. If you're downloading music or a film from the internet illegally, if you're using unlicensed computer software, if you're copying music off a friend, all of these ways are stealing. These are examples of direct stealing. And it is remarkable how many people, even how many Christians, and they would never, ever for a moment dream of going into a shop and stealing a DVD. And yet without a second thought, they'll make an illegal copy of a DVD or an illegal download of a DVD. And it's every bit as illegal. There is no difference whatsoever. Keeping lost property for ourselves is stealing. It's not finders keepers, boys and girls. That's what the world says. God says, you shall not steal. We need to make every effort that we possibly can to return something that we found to its proper owner. And, of course, as we do that, that is a great opportunity to witness, isn't it? Taking money, even if it's just a quite a small sum of money, or taking possessions to a police station or to somewhere else where it's likely to be uh, reclaimed, that 99 out of 100 people would have just kept for themselves. It's an opportunity to be able to say when people are surprised, as they inevitably will be, it's an opportunity for us to say, well, I, I'm a Christian. And the Bible says that for me to keep this would be stealing, and I'm, I do, I'm not going to do that. I want to honor God, and so I'm, I'm handing it in. Direct stealing. And then deceit. Deceit covers a whole range of deceitful practices that are designed to get us more money. So if the shopkeeper gives you too much change or undercharges you for something that you've bought and you know about it but you keep quiet about it, that's stealing. It's also lying. We'll come back to that on another day. But it's certainly stealing. 
If you cheat on your tax return or your VAT return, that's stealing. You don't declare every penny of your income that you're supposed to, or if you exaggerate your expenses, that is stealing by deceit. The Bible is crystal clear in Romans 13, verse 7. Give everyone what you owe him. Perhaps the temptation for some of you, particularly students, is to steal credit that belongs to someone else. Taking praise for work that you only had a very little to do with. And that means copying somebody else's homework you've forgotten to do your homework, or you couldn't be bothered to do your homework and you decide you're just going to copy somebody else's, or plagiarizing off the internet, or getting uh, an AI chatbot to write an essay for you, uh, copying huge chunks of work without acknowledgement, that's stealing. Stealing not somebody else's money, but you're stealing somebody else's work. And you're stealing the credit and the praise that is due to them and not to you. When employees take extended breaks, or when they slack off when the boss isn't watching, you're stealing time and money from your employer. And, and this goes on all the time, doesn't it? In every profession. Uh, I remember different jobs that I had uh, when I was a student in the holidays, and uh, I would go in assuming that you went in and you worked hard for the eight hours and then you left. And it didn't take long to realize that that wasn't the way that it works at all and that everybody else is they're doing a little bit and then they're sitting down and they're chatting and they're having a, a long, long break and then they do a little bit more and, uh, and then they take another wee break and then they go off to the bathroom for an hour and then they come back again. And this kind of thing is typical of the world. And, and Christians will make people look bad when they refuse to, to do that. But you shall not steal. You can't take money for work that you haven't done. Colossians 3 verse 22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as for the Lord, not for men. Whatever job we're doing, whether it's paid or not, we are to do it as if we are doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ, because, in fact, we are doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately. Christians shouldn't need to be supervised. We should be trustworthy. We should be absolutely reliable. And again, this is relevant for you young people who are students at university. You have been given money. Now, it's not a grant in the way that it used to be. Uh, it's, a, it's a student loan that has to be repaid. But nevertheless, you have received money to enable you to study full-time. You've been given a place at university in order to study and if you spend most of your time socializing or playing sport or even involved in Christian activities, then you're being dishonest and you're taking money and you're taking that university place under false pretenses. You're there to study 
And you're there to study hard. And that's what you have to do. I'm not saying you don't do any of these other things as well. But the main reason you're there for at least eight hours of every day is to study hard the subject that you're enrolled in. So we can steal directly. We can steal by deceit. We can steal thirdly by delay. Delay. Again, Romans 13 Verses 7 and 8 says, Give everyone what you owe him. Let no debt remain outstanding. To delay to pay your bills is theft. People will call it all kinds of other names, but it is theft. It's robbing that company of the money that is rightly theirs. It robs them of the interest that they can earn on that money. There are thousands of small businesses that go out, they go bust every year because their customers will not pay them on time. And when a check bounces or when a debt, however small, remains unpaid, that's stealing. Romans 13 verse 9 goes on to quote the Eighth Commandment. And it links it with the great commandment or the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you do to others as you wish they would do to you. And if you would want money to be paid to you on time, if you would want money that is owed to you to be paid immediately, then you pay that money immediately to anyone else to whom you owe money. If you borrow something, whether it's money or something else, Make sure that not only that you return it, but that you return it in good time. You don't hold on to it for months and months and have to be chased for it and asked again and again and again. We can steal by delay. We can steal through dishonesty. We live in a capitalist consumer culture and the principle upon which our economy operates tends to be charge whatever the market will bear. But Christians can't operate on that principle. It's dishonest. It's stealing to charge more than something is worth, even if people will pay it. Just because people will pay it doesn't mean that that is right. And in our modern world of eBay and Gumtree and Facebook marketplace and many, many other ways of selling things online. We need to be careful that we are not dishonest in the price that we charged. We don't have the right as the buyer to drive the price down unfairly either. We all like to get a bargain, and, and there's a certain amount of haggling and give and take when it comes to, 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 to negotiating the price on certain things, and that's all fine, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, we want to pay a fair price for whatever an item is worth. Dishonesty. And then lastly, discouragement. We can steal through discouragement. In other words, what I mean by that is that we have a responsibility to prevent other people from stealing. It's not just about refraining from theft ourselves, but we have a duty to prevent others from stealing. And this is a principle that comes from our larger catechism, 
which tells us that we have an obligation not just to keep the commandments ourselves, but also we're not to make it hard for other people to keep them. And we can do that in all kinds of ways. Um, Lord Shaftesbury met with 400 of London's worst criminals. And at the end of that meeting, Shaftesbury said this, I question whether we fine, easy, comfortable folks are not greater sinners in the sight of God than these poor wretches. 400 of the worst criminals in London. And yet Shaftesbury wondered if he and others like him were not the greater sinners. Why? Because the rich were not using their wealth to ease the burdens of the poor. By, by, by maintaining their high standard of luxurious living, they were forcing the poor to stay poor and to get poorer uh, and to tempt them to break this commandment. And we can force the poor further and further into poverty by our lifestyles as well. Perhaps we don't see it as clearly in a global community as we do in Victorian London. But you think of the poor who are suffering not just a little bit of poverty, but, but grinding, soul-destroying poverty. The poor in sweatshops in India or exploited farmers in Africa. Because we want our luxury goods and a high standard of living at bargain prices, we're contributing, aren't we? We're maintaining market forces that can crush the poor and drive them to steal. And we need to accept a certain amount of responsibility. And we need to think about what we can do to redress the balance. I know that a lot of fair trade is really a con. Uh, it's, it's a marketing ploy to try and get people to buy fair trade stuff, and, and the money doesn't end up in the pockets of the poor exploited farmer, but in the clever, cunning, deceitful people who are behind the fair trade label. But that's not to say that there isn't genuine fair trade that really does work and that deserves support from Christians. It's a complex area. Maybe it would be a good subject for an adult Bible class next year. But we have an obligation, surely, to investigate and to think about these things and to see if there is anything that we can do. Maybe only in little ways. But it's part of keeping this commandment. We want to be like our Father in this area. You remember the gleaning laws in the Old Testament? In Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, God said, When you reap the harvest of your land, it's your land, it's not communist property, it's your land. But God says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. 
I wonder what the, the 21st century equivalent of gleaning might be. Isn't there a, a principle here, a vital Christian principle? Isn't God saying to us, don't be so obsessed with getting the maximum possible value for money that you force other people into poverty and drive them to steal? It wasn't economically viable for the farmer to leave those fallen grapes. It didn't make sound financial sense not to reap to the very edges of the fields. But God is saying in these laws, there is something more important than money. There is something that matters more than profit, and that is care for the poor. Don't put your wealth ahead of their welfare. And perhaps many of us care more about seeing our savings grow and our investments than we care about seeing the poor helped. So here are a number of ways uh, that we might be tempted to steal. And then lastly, a final question. How can we keep from stealing? How can we keep from stealing? We've seen many ways in which we can be guilty of stealing of having a grasping, miserly attitude to money and possessions. And that's going to be more of a temptation for some than for others. As with all the commandments, some will struggle more with this or that commandment, uh, and, and others will struggle with different commandments. It's more of a temptation for some than for others. But all of us are affected to some extent, aren't we? Because we live in such a materialistic culture that is obsessed with consumerism. We're surrounded by so much luxury. Uh, and advertising and the credit industry just is designed to make us covet and to want more and more. And of course, all of this is made worse by the financial pressures of, well, this past year, in particular with the economic downturn, the recession and the cost of living crisis. So how can we keep from stealing? Let me mention three things. First of all, we need to develop an unshakable conviction that property that doesn't belong to us, that we haven't worked for and earned, is out of bounds. That seems very obvious. But just put a barrier in your mind, ring fence anything that doesn't belong to you so that it never for one second would enter your mind to take something that you haven't earned. Don't even let yourself begin to start weighing it up in your mind. That's, what, that's where Eve went wrong, wasn't it, in the Garden of Eden? Don't try to reason with the devil as to why it actually, in this case, it's okay for me to keep this money that I've found uh, and that I don't need to speak up about being undercharged for this item that I bought. An unshakable conviction that property that doesn't belong to us, for which we haven't worked, it's out of bounds. It's off limits. And then secondly, pour your energies into working hard. Pour your energies into working hard. Because actually, we will enjoy our possessions that we have worked for far more will be less tempted to take anything that we haven't worked for. Pour your energies 
into working honestly and hard. And then thirdly, cultivate contentment with what God has chosen to give you in His wisdom and in His love. Trust, believe, exercise faith, believe that God really is infinitely wise. This is not just something that we believe on paper, that we write our names to at the bottom of the Westminster Confession. This is something that we really do believe in everyday life. God is infinitely wise. He is infinitely loving. He knows what is best for me, and He has given me this, and He has not given me that. Cultivate contentment based on those beliefs. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you are content with what God has given you, if you practice, if you cultivate, if you teach your children to be content with what God has given, whether it is much or little, then there will be no danger of taking more than belongs to you. And if we're faithful in keeping this commandment, given all that I said at the beginning about how this sin is so extensive and so endemic in every level of society, if we as Christians are faithful in keeping this commandment, that will be a powerful witness to our materialistic, greedy, selfish world. Our honesty will give us opportunities again and again to speak about Christ. As Paul says to Titus in Titus 2 verse 9, he says, Teach slaves not to steal, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So that they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Isn't that a beautiful image? We are making the truth about God attractive as we live out the commandments, as we model these things to the world. Our lives are to speak to people and say, this is what God is like. He's not greedy. He's not mean. He's not stingy. He is honest. He is trustworthy. He is open-handed in his generosity. I am like my Father in heaven. That's why I do what I do, because he is like this. And that's our great aim, isn't it, as Christians, to adorn the gospel by our consistent godliness. And there is no easier way to do that than in those areas where our world is especially bad. Let your light shine. The light of your good deeds, the light of your keeping of the law, 
Let your light shine in the darkness of our world. For God's glory and for his name's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your perfect law. We thank you for all the multifaceted dimensions of it, for all of its breadth and for all of its depth, and for how searching these commandments are when rightly understood. We pray that you will forgive us, Lord, again, if we have had a narrow and reductionistic understanding of this commandment, if we have thought that perhaps we uh, have kept this commandment as we should, that we have obeyed it in all of its breadth and depth. We pray, Lord God, that even as we are convicted uh, of our sin, perhaps, uh, perhaps not outward actions, perhaps we're not guilty outwardly of stealing, uh, but perhaps we are guilty of that inward attitude that leads to theft. Uh, Lord, whatever this commandment has to say to each one of us, we pray that your Spirit will open our eyes to see it and to understand it, to be convicted by it, to confess it, and to repent of it. We pray, Lord, that each one of us will not only no longer steal, but that we will work hard uh, in order to give, in order to share generously with those who have not been given as much. Father, we thank you for all that you have given us, for every good and perfect gift, and we pray that you will help us to be good stewards of these things. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.